0: Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is episode 11 of the Truth About Work podcast, talking about work from the day-to-day minute issues. They're not minute when you're dealing with them, right? All the way up to the global and the philosophical, what, what should work be versus what it is. But, you know, our idea at Human Workplace is to make work more human, and that's why we talk about this stuff all the time, including here on the Truth About Work podcast, I did a survey on Twitter and um, about, you know, we're going through tumultuous times. Is this a good time to change careers or a bad time? And I have an opinion, but I didn't express it. I've probably expressed it on Twitter before, but uh, it was fantastic because a huge percentage of the respondents to the poll said, yeah, it's a great time to change careers. And it is. I absolutely agree with that. It is. The recession 10, 12 years ago was a great time to change careers too. A lot of people were thrown out of work. And it was a situation where doing what had worked before, waiting in line, filling out a million job applications, being patient, spending the savings down to nothing, all of that wasn't working. So it became a situation where, well, you know, the conveyor belt I was on wasn't leading anywhere special or fantastic. It wasn't gratifying. I wasn't getting paid a ton of money and I wasn't up for a promotion or anything like that. Why don't I just do something that I want to do more? And a lot of people changed careers then. And, and now, right now, during this combination COVID-19 crisis and you know, potential meltdown of democracy in the United States and worldwide tumult and 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 people rising up against police brutality and racism, institutionalized racism. I'm learning so much. It's beyond humbling, beyond, you know, bracing, um, thinking I kind of knew a little bit about our country's dark past. No, I didn't know much at all compared to what I've learned just in the last few weeks, just taking suggestions about what to read. And, um, yeah, no, there's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else to talk about. Let's, let's start right there. Let's just come clean right there. And then we can talk about anything else at all ever after we, you know, get clear about the United States dark past and, and, you know, roots of white supremacy going back at least 300 years. Many, 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 many years. But so here we are at this moment in history where we have to stop. There is no way to continue with the old thought process and the daily life. Even people whose daily life is the same as it was before all this, maybe working from home or going down to turn the key in the door and open the grocery store and and staff the grocery store for the day, and they're still doing that. Obviously, things look the same, but everything has changed. And I believe the pundits and experts who say that we're not going back. Yes, people have short memories, but we're not going back to something exactly like what we knew. We're just, you know, I don't think we're going back to that. We already had, for example, retail apocalypse going on before all this. And now it's, you know, very intensely different. And what does that mean for Amazon, the behemoth of online shopping. And, you know, um, does that give them inordinate power over everyone and over employment? Yes, obviously, yes. <laughs> there are things that are going to have to shift in, 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 in the way that our country is led and the world uh, is led and, and organized and what's important in our priorities. We know that. We can see that clearly. How do you keep everybody safe in the event of another pandemic? Well, you make sure they have health care and we don't have a system right now that makes sure everybody has health care. That's right away, fatal error in our version of SIMS, right? It's not gonna work. Everyone has to have health care. You can wail and gnash your teeth and say, that's not fair, I don't wanna pay for that yet. Yeah, well, you know, this is, this is reality hitting us in the face Our system has to change. And my particular interest, the system of employment, the institution of employment, we have to take a hard look at. It's just simply broken. Uh, That's not a knock on any individual employer or industry. It's the the institution itself is fatally flawed in the way that we conceive of it. I was talking to someone who had a job interview a couple of days ago, and, and she had a Skype interview, not Skype, you know, Zoom interview. Isn't it weird? Skype was everything. And then it's like, who cares about Skype? Somebody said on Twitter, yeah, good way to go, Skype blowing like an 18-year lead on Zoom. It's an interesting story. But, um, you know, blowing the lead to Zoom. You know what I meant. Um, and she had an interview, and she said, it started, and it, the interview began, and the first visceral, talking to this young man, maybe a year or two older than she was, but wasn't the age gap or lack of gap that bothered her at all it was just his presence his attitude his manner his demeanor his his his, his, his whole thing she goes i don't blame the guy we all grew up we all were brainwashed with this idea that the candidate is going to do some kind of dog and pony show and really be excited to be considered and here's why you should hire me and she was like no why i'm not i'm not doing that but this is what the guy totally came ready for and expecting and 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 no no openness to anything else right and that was how he felt better being in that room it's an uncomfortable situation in some ways for everybody right a job interview it's uncomfortable forced weird stilted social interaction because it is social and the idea that we've all been trained in is that the candidate is convincing the employer that they're the best one for the job. But why, really? The candidate has just as big a decision to make, bigger decision in terms of impact on their life and their resume and perhaps their mental and emotional health and physical health and their relationships and their time. And it matters. Their income, it matters where you go to work. And so when there's no selling and it's all vetting and it's harsh vetting, she said, I didn't hold it against the guy. We're going to give this guy a name. Jim. Jim. I don't know his real name. She said, I didn't hold it against him. He, this is how he was trained, but there there was no intellectual curiosity in this guy. He did not care about me and my background. It was, can you do this? Have you done that? She goes, there was no way. I, I was literally in the chair eight seconds. I said, yeah, no. Nah. Have you ever, has that ever happened to you? Eight seconds. No, no, no. This I cannot work for this guy. Not in this lifetime. And she goes, then I'm like, wow, do I get up? Do I leave? Is it rude? All the stuff in her head. And she said, he was there. He was ready to go. He had the script. He was asking the scripted questions. No intellectual (laughs) spark, no thoughtfulness about my answers. Like, no, I can't do that. And uh, so she, she went with it. She said, I did him a favor that day. He'll never know. But I didn't get up and leave and rattle him. I stayed there and I answered the questions. I didn't get into it at any point. Nothing, my opinion didn't shift. He didn't, you know, he didn't seem to understand a lot of the terms that he was using. It wasn't, you know, a cool situation. It wasn't hostile, but it just really reminded me of the depth of the training, the depth of the brainwashing, the indoctrination as a candidate you're supposed to strut your stuff and make them like you no thought to your own your own welfare and it's weird too because you know if you're in a bad relationship an abusive relationship romantic relationship your friends i hope and and i have experience will will rally around and say get out of that relationship it's not good it's not safe and they'll offer you a couch to sleep on or whatever but at work, it's like, eh, you know, you're supposed to just like suck it up and take the job and keep the job and get the job. So here she is in this interviewing saying, there's no way in hell I would work for this guy. And he is not the slightest bit interested, you know, in knowing that even if it would save him an hour or close to an hour of his time. He wants to be here running re- through my paces. It, 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 it is gratifying to him. And this is, this is the sickness. And, you know, it's just a little anecdote about one interview this week, but this is repeated over and over and over again across our country and abroad. And, you know, the idea that there's an unequal power relationship and we're all supposed to be cool with it and fall in line and act the part. No, why? That's dumb. It's not good for industry. It's not good for individual companies, not good for their customers, not good for the planet. It's not good for us. So we got we to gotta reform or remake, probably better, remake the institution of employment so that it emphasizes the talent and the needs and the the gifts and the contributions of people because that's who staffs any company, or or agency or not-for-profit that that employs people is is you know people they're the number one species that go to work occasional goldfish dog but it's pretty much mainly people so. Um, you know, that's our focus is looking at the processes, looking at the mindset, helping employers, helping us, helping individual people get stronger. And you know, scripts is part of it, because scripts are really powerful as a tool when you have a script and you kind of integrated it, it, you know, the words flow and it becomes easier to, to speak your truth, but, but this is what we're all grappling with because it's new territory. Many of us have gotten through our careers to this point without ever thinking, I need to stand up for myself, or I need to, you know, renegotiate my agreement here, or I need to leave because I need more out of my job. And this is, you know, some people have lived in that world a long time, but a lot of folks have not. And it's new to them. And um, you know, we're always happy to have people join the fold and, and grow all of our muscles together. So yeah. I mean, you know, but here, back to this COVID-19 and the, and the turmoil in our country, I'm very hopeful about it, right? I'm, I'm happy that, that issues that have been long buried and denied are coming to the forefront. I see possibility in the chaos for um, fixing things that are broken, having a lot of hard conversations we should have been having for a long time and um, and you know remaking institutions in a better way people have been saying by the way that the 18th 19th century institutional ideal that we've been building up that this logical linear dewey decimal system you know the academy and and industry and politics on this enlightenment model that people have been predicting its demise for a long time it's not new saying these institutions will not hold i have felt that way for ages about higher ed because i speak at campuses a lot and i've taught on campus i thought man it's in in some ways it's just buildings (laughs) it's you know it's staffing it's logistics it's putting kids in classrooms it's having a working fire alarm but i'm telling you there's that you know that's the focus where do i go at 1205 to be in this lecture and it's tests and it's it's truly administration more so in, in in many instances sorry to say I'm not bashing academia in general but it is hollowed out to a large degree even since I was in school but I mean harking back to like you know the, the 50s 60s 40s it's hollowed out and a lot of it is pasteboard and sealing wax and fake and and you know not not any kind of cohesive um institution of higher learning with academic ideals and uh and no i mean there's a there's a big issue in our local college here right now because people are suing and saying i want my money back i paid for the campus experience and you sent me home no fault of your own we have covid19 raging but i don't think i don't think i should pay what i originally paid because you haven't fulfilled all these these attributes of campus life from the library to the social stuff to the clubs to the whatever so far the school is hanging tough and saying no forget you it's kind of like you're you're going to pay full price for zoom calls well that's interesting because i wonder how many kids parents are going to pay you know ivy league tuitions then for zoom calls if if school doesn't resume in the fall and it really calls into question the overall issue what what does what does four-year college mean in our society today it's not a ticket to a job like it used to be at by any means so institutions are coming under fire coming under attack shaky wobbly you know what are they beyond the uh buildings that's something every every institution has to answer but also we have to answer as the people who keep these institutions you know in the positions of power that they hold so here we go we've got this crisis multiple crises um, In the world we're all in it together uh to some degree (laughs) written not ultra rich people okay but what is the message that we're getting loud and clear something has to shift something has to shift so back to the survey the poll i mentioned on twitter is it a good time to change careers yeah it's the perfect time but even if we're not changing careers it's an essential time almost a mandatory time to stop and look at where we have been and where we're going next the path right what is your path since childhood where has it brought you it's kind of fun to reflect I'm old enough to remember the 70s you guys when I was 10 11 12 started babysitting and all that and I and it was a big time for kind of like the whatever came after hippies before punk rock you know the people that I babysat for for were like young hip mostly, you know, couples with obviously a baby or two, and they were seekers and they had all the books on the bookshelf, you know, um, uh, the, the sort of the early, like new age stuff, but also, um, you know, just, uh, the me decade seeking, wanting to understand psychology and philosophy and, you know, in the context of your own life and, and world affairs and all this kind of stuff. And. And there was a lot of pushback in popular culture, like, oh, it's navel-gazing. It's too um, self-indulgent. It's narcissistic to want to under- look at your own life. What the hell? you know? Who do you think you are? Just get out there and, you know, tote that barge, lift that bale or whatever. Do your job. And that's, you know, very... Um, uh rarefied but also um what's the word you guys you know too into yourself nobody cares about that stuff but the fact is a lot of faith traditions religions and spiritual practices like all of them over the decades over the millennia have said yeah you gotta look at where you're going because think about if you don't then we're on sort of autopilot man i gotta call this repair person to fix this or that i gotta put some money in the bank i have to you know do some ab exercises. I gotta get some, do some menu planning. And this, we're never gonna get out of the weeds. We have to spend a lot of time in the weeds to deal with what's in front of us, but sometimes we have to stop and we have to look back and we have to look around and then look forward. So it's a magnificent time to think about what's possible for you beyond what you're doing right now professionally, and even apart from professionally. What, what do you want your life to be like? Sometimes you get the big thunderbolt, we're getting one now, saying, oh, okay, well, I guess I better stop and look. You could get a journal if you want to. You could talk to people about it. Talk to your friends, you know, what, how, where am I? What's important to me, you know? It's not a bad thing to take a horrible crisis that has killed a couple hundred thousand people already, COVID-19, and say, "But." you know, maybe there's some possibility out of this, right? Doesn't dishonor those beautiful people who left us and their families. It says, okay, well, let's see what, is, what could happen out of this. What could happen for me, for all of us? What is possible? And, and allow ourselves a little freedom to say, what if it were different? What if it were significantly different than what we know? And what if things were different for me for the rest of my life after this? What if I said, okay, this is what comes out of this, is that I'm going to observe things differently and more closely, but also from a higher altitude to make sure that I am living, you know, the life that I want to live and, and that I deserve to live. Stopping and looking. We call that process getting altitude. Because, you know, if you've been in any kind of a rut, let's say career-wise, you've been on a conveyor belt, that's cool. But what you notice on the conveyor belt is that you're running really fast to usually hit other people's goals for you. Get this promotion, hit this sales target. That stuff is all cool. And if it grows your flame and it, and it gives you what you want in your life, that's great. But, you know, obviously this is the learning for me 35 years in, in, in that world is that many, many people end up saying it's not my conveyor belt. Like I'm running fast to keep up with the conveyor belt rather than figuring out where's the direction that I want to go and then going there at whatever pace. So, you know, it'd be a horrible thing if you got to the end of your working life and, and felt like it, you had never been in charge. And so this forced stoppage and thinkage and getting altitude you know, on, on your work life is a gift. We have to take it and, and appreciate it and then dive into it and say, okay, So where am I going? Where have I been? And where am I going? And it can feel indulgent. Like I'm talking about the seventies, navel gazing. Who are you to, to have the luxury to stop and look at your life? Like you think you're the king of Sheba or queen or whatever. No, I'm just a person who's alive and I get my shot and I get my time and I don't even know how much time, but I'm going to do what I choose to do at least with that time to the extent that I can. And I have obstacles. Ridiculous. Institutional, structural, political, economic, uh, social, come on. With, even with those obstacles, what can I do? What do I have control over? And what can I change and what can I make different for myself and for other people? We don't necessarily spend a lot of time on that. One of the messages coming out of this sort of like um, invisible loudspeakers everywhere, all these messages, the, drain, the brainwashing I speak about, right? But one of them is you know don't think you're all that. Don't think you have a right to like decide what your life is going to be like or your career. Just just be happy if you have a job. Be grateful and shut up. And this is a loud loud message coming out of these invisible loudspeakers all over the place is just, you know, get off your high horse. And I'm here to tell you it's not even a high horse. It's just a regular little It's just the way that you go through your life and you're absolutely allowed and in some ways required to choose the direction because if you don't choose the direction, that's a choice. And it's scary to take that weight on yourself and say, oh, dang, I have to choose. But it's also get to. What if it were fun? What if you made it just something that you say to the extent that I am behind the wheel of the car. Driving the car, where would I like this car to go? Where would I like to point it? No pressure, not meeting anybody else's requirements or expectations except people I love and vice versa. Other than that, where would I take this vehicle? What would I do? Perfect time for reinvention right now because everything is up in the air anyway. I bet you almost none of us have had in our lives as much uncertainty about the future as we have right now. And yet, or maybe for that reason, we get to choose. We get to say, okay, well, if it's just a big, wide-open field of possibilities and I'm not going to be always in control of every single thing that happens, but to the extent that I am, here's what I would like to create for myself and for all of us. Here's what I would like that to look like. Design. It's a design challenge. What will my life look like? And what will life on Earth look like? And life in the United States? And what will our politics look like? And what will it be like to live in my city or a different city or out in the countryside? You know, design it all. How are you going to spend your time when you wake up? What time are you going to wake up in the morning? And what are you going to do when you wake up? This is really the exercise that it's so helpful and and clarifying for all of us to, to play with. You know, when we have a little time to think on your bike, in your commute, whatever, in the shower, laying in bed at night, what would it be like? Good journal about it. It's a little hump sometimes for folks to get over because they feel like, oh, this is what? It's the entire point. If you think about it, if you think about it in the absence of this kind of clarity or vision, what would be the point of anything else that you're doing or that I'm doing? What would be the point of it if it's not pointed in the direction of the thing that we decided we want? And that just requires us to ruminate on the question, what do I want for myself and for all of us? What do I want? Ooh. My friend Terry told me when I was frustrated, super frustrated about a year ago with some stuff that I wanted to happen that wasn't happening at my pace, my preferred pace, of course, way before I ever heard of COVID-19 or anything. And she said, yeah, when that happens and you get stymied and you get you get stuck behind an obstacle, you know, you're like pushing against it, it's not going to work. It's a beautiful message that says... You know, the thing you want requires more work, more reflection, more thought, more whatever. It's not up to you. And the gift is that realization that, thank goodness, you know, this universe that we live in is not all about me getting my way at when I want to get it. And so get that, you know, gift. And of course, my brain was split in half because half of me was like, wow. And the other half was like, please, (laughs) you know, please. I'm from northern New Jersey. But that's how a lot of people feel right now about their goals. Like, well, it's COVID. What am I supposed to do? What if it were that gift of time thing where the forced inability to do the thing we thought we needed or wanted to do is actually the gift because it forces us to really look what do we want to do? Does it have to be the way I thought it had to be? And she said, you know, you're not in charge. And it's a great message for us to get. We're not in charge. We're in charge of a lot. But luckily, you know, we're not in charge of the entire simulation. <laughs> and that's good. You know, there's, we can let down the burden of thinking. I have to steer everything exactly the way I decided it should be. Because there might be something bigger to learn, to experience, now I realized that I said earlier you're in charge of your career and now I'm saying you're not in charge. But that's you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the magical piece, right? A lot of us do not take charge at all ownership of our lives and careers and that really hurts us because we're blown about then like a leaf in the four winds. I don't know, I got laid off, my sister-in-law Help me get a job. I don't know. And so taking the reins back, taking the wheel of the car back. Right. And saying, I, I, I'm going to decide is obviously very, very, very powerful. And then at the next level up in altitude saying, OK, you know, things are going great. I got this plan. And and sometimes that little wind that comes in a hurricane or whatever. that says, is no, not so fast is also really, really appropriate and helpful and expands our our repertoire right? Of what we're comfortable with and what we can integrate and accept is that like, yeah, I'm not actually ultimately in charge of this whole thing. I'd be boring. It'd be a Lego set then, right? It'd be an erector set. I'm not in charge, right? But there's a lot, lot, lot that I can do when I'm barreling down the track toward my goals. And when I'm not, when I'm forced to take a pause, like right now. All right. I got a question to answer. And, um, I answered it earlier today on Twitter. I'm gonna answer it right now on this podcast. Question is, what's a good non-tush kissy, ask kissy way to answer the interview question, hey, with all the talented candidates, why should we hire you? And I just say, you know, so I'll do both voices, the interviewer and you. interviewer says, with all the talented candidates who've applied for this job, why should we hire you? And then you're going to say, well, let me tell you what I heard so far in this interview process, that your situation, what you're looking for, and you can tell me if I'm in the ballpark. Okay. So I heard that you've got a big product launching in November, and you wish you had more marketing support for that launch, everything from sales information to educating customers to PR and media. And it sounds like you're looking for somebody to take the launch plan flesh it out, operationalize it, decide what the actual marketing activities are, and then execute them. And um, it's a lot like what we ran into when I was at Acme Explosives and we were launching the stick modular stick DynaByte product, etc. Make sense? You'd be getting close to the end probably at that point, but whatever, depends on the energy in the room, right? And uh, you're instead of the traditional, well, I'm smart and I'm hardworking and I'm loyal, it's disgusting. It's a horrible interview question, but it's almost like we're past uh, bashing employers for these crap-tastic interview questions because they just don't even think about it, which is sad. There's so much that is unstudied, unremarked. We don't think about it. We don't think about the frame, the paradigm, the mental model. We don't think about it, you know. Um, job candidates, you know, are the lowest form of life. You know, it's it's terrible. It's real broken. And and I'm actually writing a book about that right now about reinventing re, uh, recruiting. But um, yeah, so we know that. But in in the wreckage of the broken institution of employment and recruiting process, there are ways to preserve and actually strengthen your flame and your uh, you know, your muscles without being without being rude, without being anything. You're saying, well, let me tell you what I heard and see if this is anything close to what you were trying to convey. So in other words, let's talk about the issue, the business, not like, am I acceptable in thy sight? Because that's real disgusting. It's stupid, has nothing to do. Can you imagine calling a contractor? Can you imagine calling a brick mason? out to your house and say, why should we hire you? I mean, they'd be like, I'm sorry. Did you go to my website? <laughs> like what? They don't do it, plumbers. Why would they grovel? Well, I, they'd be like, oh, uh, I got uh, I got somebody in the office will send you a brochure. It's like, it's so foreign. But we have that baked in, that conception of the candidate as groveling dog and pony show, and we're trying to blow that up. Like Acme explosives mentioned before. Listen, have a wonderful next few days. Until we're back, you can follow us on Twitter at Human Workplace, LinkedIn, just my name, Liz Ryan, Uh, Facebook, Human Workplace, and also Instagram. And uh, that's about it. Be well.